Welcome to the Daft Souls podcast. My name is Matt Lees, joined by Keza McDonald. Hello. And Chris Bratt. Hello. Back for what must be the third episode of this new format series, in which we promised we'd come back with some preparation and some features, <laughs> and yet again, I don't think it's happened. But that's fine. We're all very busy people doing lots of busy, busy things. How are you both? Very well. It's a beautiful day out. My brain chemicals are on my side this week. I've been in a good mood all week. It's been lovely. Yeah, same. The sun's helping. Oh, that's excellent. We've got a video going out in about two and a half hours, so I'm only very stressed at the moment, (laughs) which is good. So you should balance me out. That'd be nice. Just press the buttons. I know, we're trying. You just (laughs) make it go online. It's easy. (laughs) This is the easy part. When you make it go on the internet, you just press the button and you go, you leave. Right, okay. You know, you can do the auto thing, auto encode to upload. Yeah, but... That's just beautiful. But then how do you spend the rest of the day looking at the comments to make sure that it's okay? You do that the next day. (laughs) You do that in a big chunk. Because if you sit and do it live, Mm. that way madness lies. That is, yes, it just eats your day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or actually my technique is just set all the YouTube comments to be um, pre-moderated only. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say off, which is also useful. Off is probably best. (laughs) But pre-moderated only, what you do then is you set it so it's pre-moderated only. You sit around for the first hour and you just go, yep, 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 yep. And you leave like a good, you know, 10, 20 decent ones. And honestly, that's all people... Because everything after that will just be repeating the same things. (laughs) So that's enough for people to have a look at. And then you just go in at will. And the good thing about that is it means nothing bad ever gets through the net. As soon as you get someone who think, well, that person is blocked material, they get blocked before they even got to make invisible comment i switched it on to see what it was like and i swear by it now right. it probably means i've got like i haven't looked at it for about six months i've probably got hundreds of comments sitting in the back end there just waiting to be moderated but the world doesn't need them you know what i mean well so far our, our channel is really new so the community is is nice and and is actually just fun to engage with but yeah maybe maybe one day i don't really know we don't have we don't have a grand plan for this stuff yet which is people say nice things and make jokes about the telescope in the background, and that's Long okay. The thing. That's, al- that's always the dream. You get to the you get to a certain scale point where that just stops being the case. And I, on Twitter, it's about nine thousand followers. Right, that's where that that's stops. Specific. Mm. Could, yeah, I, I just remember crossing that threshold at one point and being like, "Oh, why is my Twitter a garbage fire now?" And then there's a certain critical mass on on websites as well, and on. Uh, on channels so i think just stay small and happy forever cool there are exceptions and do find that it's interesting Mm. with the shadows it down we've split it so we've got the youtube thing Mm -hmm. that does require a bit of trimming but it's largely not too bad but then you just have the the website community as well which tends to just be made up of different kinds of people having different kinds of conversations and then obviously you know when it spreads out but it it really does depend i think largely i think you're in a good place if you've got good people in video games because largely the community (laughs) in video games is just really bad (laughs) at least Um, the one that comments yeah. 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 Shut up and sit down was yeah. It was always one of the ones to look at. as like actually, it's so you can get a nice group of people that sort of talk about interesting things. I spent a long need. time reverse engineering that and trying to work out why. Yeah. Because it was is like it board that, games. Is that the answer? It's partially that. <laughs> it's other stuff as well. Um. But board games have been better at, at kind of moderating their own communities, and you do find that even things like Reddit, which is a generally a cesspit, like the board game community on Reddit, is not as bad. Right. Um. It's the forum approach. I think it's a sense of belonging. You know, like the thing is when, when you are, you know, when, when I used to visit forums a lot as a teenager, you're posting under a name, people get to know that name. And if you just post trash all the time, everyone thinks you're, you're a dick. The problem with YouTube is it because it's, you know, you're never going to see the same username twice, probably, you know, if you look through loads and loads of YouTube comments. So, so people don't have the same sense of like talking to actual people. Whereas if you've got a website based community, they get to know each other mm-hmm. and they don't end up with such, um, yeah, I think you just get much less drive-by stuff, and people think twice before they say something because they they have a presence there. 
Because you're worried about the, what it might do to your cred. Yeah, like if you're bothering to actually sign up and comment on a website, even if it's just through Discourse or whatever, but you you know that other people are going to be paying more attention than if you're just some drive-by YouTube commenter. A a final tiny side note before we get into podcast proper, though. I've noticed recently the death of the forum is destroying the internet um, in a very real way. Oh, yeah. Because (laughs) I've never been on forums before, but... I have, because what I use them for is when I need to know something. You know when you're trying to work out like, <laughs> yeah. how to do something? You're like, oh, you have, you have so a right. technical problem on Really, like, really long threads. My partner spends all this time on threads about 4K television settings. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We, yeah. Like, it's sometimes you just think, oh, I'm having this problem. Somebody must have had this problem before mm-hmm. and found a solution. You type it into Google, you find the answer. Yeah, the, the forum thread will, the forum will thread. be the same thing you Google yeah. word for word yeah. as well. And then you'll be like, ah, oh. and then you find a forum thread and then it fixes it. Because people don't use forums anymore. And because people use social media for this, but social media is transient and gets lost or is like locked away behind walls, mm. it means that like I'm now starting to have issues or questions <laughs> where you type the question verbatim into Google in a way which a few years ago you think this will hit, this will get me a Google whack, I'm mm-hmm. going to find the thing exactly for this weird tech problem. Now you just find uh, websites that are selling that product because everyone's done their SEO so well. Or you find YouTube videos that are just telling you why this thing is great. Yep. And you... N- I realize it's because actually like you, before 2000, 2013 was about the cutoff point where like anything you buy that is a new item beyond 2013, if you need technical help with it, you're shafted because <laughs> all you're going to find is YouTubers going, hey guys, I'm just checking out the new Sony PX90 video camera. It's great. You should buy it. And you're like, I've already bought it. Yes. I need to know how to do this with yes. it. And there's no answers because it's literally just marketing now. Oh my God. I was trying to explain forums to my stepson. I was like, it was, How old is he? he's 13 nearly. Oh God, God. I know. Yeah. I was like, it's, ca- oh, incidentally. Like Reddit, I guess would be the closest. Yeah, thing but he doesn't about. know Reddit. Thankfully he doesn't, well, he knows, he, he, know, he doesn't know Reddit. Well, he knows what Reddit is, but he doesn't, thankfully he's, he's, he's kind of stays on Instagram mostly with his pals. Reddit must <laughs> That's be That's like, what he tells you. That is definitely Well, I mean, he also is, you know, he doesn't comment on YouTube, but he certainly reads YouTube comments, which okay. is... It's surely going to get like Facebook soon of it just being a thing that p- kids will go, oh, that's for older people. Yeah, I mean, well, forums too, because I was trying to explain the concept of a forum and he just couldn't understand the idea of... Yeah, I was like, it's like social media, but only with 30 other people there. <laughs> and he was like, what's the point of that? I was like, I, I don't know. But <laughs> I actually, you know, I got into games journalism through forums, definitely, because I used to go on when I was 12, 13, I used to go on forums about video games and even the forums of the magazines I used to read. And I used to write, you know, long posts about stuff and have long chats about things. And uh, there was this forum called, I think it was either Slate or State, I can't remember now, but it was where the PC gamer writers when Kieran Gillen, etc., that kind of era, when 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 is where the PC gamer writers hung out. And so, if you wanted to be a games journalist, you went and you hung out on those forums and you tried to be impressive. <laughs> oh my god, that's, and, um, that's how my old that's how Ollie Welsh, my old editor, got a job as it well. It is, he, yeah, he was on the Edge forums. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Ollie and I are similarly sim, about a similar age, I think. Right, um, and like the, the same, like I got noticed essentially on a forum by a guy oh. who wrote for Cube magazine at the time, and eventually got work experience on GamesTM through that. And, yeah. so, so we've lost technical help and yeah, because the thing is, it, <laughs> on social media it doesn't work because if you're trying to like ingratiate yourself with people who might, you know, for, say you're trying to be a games journalist now and you're on social media and you're constantly tweeting it, right? That would never work because you're you're so you're you're on such a kind of default level of hostility on social media that when you look at your mentions, you're always like, yeah, <laughs> like the idea of being able to just like form an organic like, and you don't have enough room to be smart either. Like I used to write like 500 word forum posts about fucking links tights or whatever. 
and you don't have room to be wow. funny or smart or it, it was it was kind of practicing writing like I but spent, now it's reverse engineered it's how can you turn that hot take tweet into a full article exactly <laughs> that's, that's quite <laughs> right yeah but yeah the 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 idea that like, I think I practiced writing a lot on forums I practiced my style of argument I practiced all sorts of really really useful things for journalism and now it's just, yeah, it, it was a really good proving grad. I, I blame this directly for younger writers not being very good. I, I like that you came onto this podcast saying that um, your brain chemicals were in a nice place. And then we've hit no, you with yeah, like, here we are. here's something that you're nostalgic about that <laughs> Forums is dying. Are dead. <laughs> oh, yeah, but that's a, that's a classic thing. Even when I'm having good weeks and I'm feeling great and happy, I'm smiley. I still think the world's going to hell. Yeah. Um, and that's because <laughs> it's like the difference between climate and weather. You know, right. you can have a sunny day, but your head's been in clouds for you know, years. The, the, other thing, the other thing that's been lost from forums, I, mean, I hope most of our readers are the right age to appreciate this nostalgia but like another thing that's you just been said lost, most of our readers which i love readers yes <laughs> there we go that's, that's betraying my uh <laughs> that's very on point for me but betraying yeah. my generation uh but yeah i i remember you would also have these weird forum characters like everyone would you know you'd know each other fairly well on your forum and then mm -hmm. someone would just turn up and start being weird and you'd be like who's this person and then they'd be a source of comedy like every forum had at least two people who were just either they're yeah, probably yeah. all like small children they're alts they, as well you're like this yeah. is this is an alternate oh yeah when well, you'd have someone who was who was starting drama and then three other accounts would turn up and back them up and you're like you've just that's just your alt. <laughs> yeah i love that kind of stupid drama my forums were great they are but Social i'm, I'm, more, I'm more worried about the, the fact we're shifting to an era where you can buy something and not know how because we we have genuinely I think I'm just starting to see the end of it. I was like, oh, I've taken this for granted as the internet being a place where you can find out the answers to anything. Yeah. Because now it's like you try you try and find the answer to something, but actually you just find out find more marketing materials for things you've already bought, which is real like hellscape. Yeah, level. that is proper algorithmic nightmare. <laughs> That's like when algorithms go wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's like, hey, you want to buy this? No, I already bought it. I bought it. I it's, bought it yesterday. It's properly like. Well, we're going to advertise it to you forever. It's properly Brazil, like the plumbers tearing your, ha your house apart. <laughs> Anyway, um, <laughs> has anyone ever heard of video games? Yes. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I mean, I think it's interesting. I think most of the people who listen to this podcast now will appreciate this. But I think that really, you know, the, the Venn diagram between what video games are now and the intersection of culture and tech is basically the same thing. Like they've basically become products that are reflections of uh, our time and our age and uh, the way that we interface with technology. Mm -hmm. And actually, this is what I've been thinking about an awful lot lately as I've been playing games. Because as I've been saying in the last two episodes, I'm still continuing largely to play games which are um, old or old by relative standards god what does that mean like that, that five be like, years yeah <laughs> probably less. literally years, yeah. four yeah <laughs> I, i've been playing um dragon age inquisition so i i, I worked my way i know well uh, unlikely as it may seem i played and finished dragon age 2 oh okay which i quite enjoyed cool um i had a lot of heart had a lot of weird stuff in it mm -hmm. um and I may be repeating myself here, so I'm apologizing if I do, but I found it interesting in the fact that you have all of these encounters that happen in the same places. So everyone at the time was like, this game only has one cave. And they're kind of right. It does. <laughs> like, they, made, they made one big cave and one big like warehouse level. Mm -hmm. And then most of the places you go in the game, in terms of where you're going to go and fight things, occur in these places with like, there's a rock in front of that door now, so it's slightly different, but it's like, it's very obviously the same level being reused as multiple different places. And I can see why that would be egregious to people for a game, mainly I think because it's a game that has so much combat in it. I think it's really interesting that like, I've also been playing a bit of Mass Effect 2 for Capture recently, and that's a game that also has a lot of combat in it, but there's something that's more easily and readily pleasing about just walking down a corridor, firing laser guns at things, mm. than there is having a kind of like, 
faintly unresponsive. Like hack and slash is a lot harder to really nail the satisfaction of mm. than shooty bang. Yeah. Like you can have average shooty bang and it's still quite fun. Yeah. Average hack and slash is really harder. bad. Yeah. Really bad. And so it has tons of combat in it, but I found it quite interesting. The fact that like really people were furious at the time about this, um, this idea. And this is a thing that hasn't gone away. This idea of assets being, um, they should be fresh. There should be lots of them. You know, you, you shouldn't reuse anything in a game. Every, which is increasingly mad. Mm, I in, mean, it's fine if you're a CD project red. Yeah. They are pretty like, yeah. If you look at, anything in The Witcher 3, they have entire gigantic whole areas. Like you, you see thousands of person hours in those areas, but they have that just for one story moment. Mm-hmm. That's how people think games should be made. It's like, well, CD Projekt Red are really, really weird. Yeah. And they're in Poland. Yeah. Two things that make it quite easy for them to afford. Yeah, the, or exactly. Rockstar, Rockstar as well will do it, where every single asset is unique and every single thing is different, but the vast you, majority of games can't do it. Yeah, no, no and also like the effect this has on humans that make games is not good. Like, you know, sitting with the man who's started a YouTube channel called People Make Games. Like, we're seeing that all the humans time. Humans Who Make Games would have been better. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. Did you know that humans make games? My name is Christopher Bratt of the planet yeah. Earth. <laughs> I like that. I have always been here. Yeah, I feel like that, that conversation is, is, is louder now, thankfully, than it has been in a while, but on the back of the Telltale stuff as well. Yeah, well, it's getting there, but it's still not there, is it? Like, especially with the Telltale stuff, there mm. being people still being like, Oh, come on, you're going to still make the game, though, aren't yeah. you? It's like, no, the developers should make it for free. These people that got was them. great. That yeah. was wonderful. I love that. Mm. Hey, um, modders do it, so why shouldn't develop? Why shouldn't professionals? Yeah. I mean, I heard some stuff about the Telltale um, business practices many years ago that kind of really shocked me, Was because um, I could never understand why every time they made a new series, it was always like they didn't seem to ever learn from their mistakes. Like the first episode of every new series was always like wonky and a bit shonky and then just felt like they were just trying to... Um, hold a cart together whilst it was rolling down a hill in right. terms of like how those series continues. And they also always had huge amounts of heart. Yeah, the narrative was And the narrative good. was yeah. solid. But it's because I heard from someone that the way they did it was that they got a minimal budget together to make episode one of a new game. The, and then they the would concept. only be allowed to spend, in terms of developing it, it would be the money that, that pilot made was then spent <sighs> to develop the game. Which meant that you had to wait to see how well episode one did to see how much money you put on episode two when then that episode two will be like you know two months later you can you can hear you can hear that boardroom conversation happening right and And it makes sense if you're a business person but like the the effect that does to the the team yeah i mean people who worked at telltale you know it's no secret that it was a really hard place to work it was very stressful endless crunch they Mm. had too many products and as you said that the way that they made them was really really unfriendly like Mm. it still remains to me just so shocking and sad that such a successful formula and such a successful company with such brilliant partnerships with Minecraft and with Batman, yep. and with, how could that have been mismanaged to such an extent that there's not even severance pay? I mean, it's just, it's a shocker. It well, really it, is amazing. It, it seems to me that like they, the management were always bad and the success of that company came about because you know the walking dead episodic first game was just so spectacularly strong that yeah. by word of mouth and it just blew up i mean i remember but they, but there were too many things like i i really like the wolf among us and i yeah, played two episodes cool. of it because there was just too many telltale games they needed to do one or two a year and not they were doing at one point i think seven concurrent seasons of things yeah no one has time to play that yeah and like there was really um inventive stuff in there like tales from the borderlands but that got lost in in the noise because it just looked like another telltale sort of yeah i mean yeah project it's, it's, and, and actually you, you yeah you, there isn't time to appreciate but this is the thing so doing. many companies whether we see it or we don't are just completely held afloat by the 
the love for what the people who are making the games do. And like Telltale was a game, a company that for many years, all of the employees there knew damn well that it was being run terribly. And, you know, I think all of us here have, have, I mean, Future was a place that I worked, Future Publishing was a place which I thought was incredibly badly managed at Mm. the time. I think it's got slightly better now, but, but I love the people I worked with and we loved what we put together. We loved the magazine and that kept us all working really hard, despite the fact that often our jobs were harder because of the fact that the people at the top of the company didn't have a fucking clue what they were doing. Yeah. Game, games journalism is exactly like this. Yeah. Everywhere I've ever worked, even IGN, which had money, supposedly, um, it, there was still uh, the people who ran IGN seemed to vaguely know what they were doing. But then the parent company of IGN, that's where you get the, the disconnect. You know, like the people who run Ziff Davis, which is owned by J2 Global, which is an Indian fax machine company. You know, these were the people who'd been making business decisions. And it was very, very frustrating. But yeah, like nobody does anything in video games i think for the money or the glory because there is none you know, I, you I lost money really for the first it. um like i don't know like two years of doing the job i think i was like barely holding on but wanted to wanted to make it so badly that that seemed like a worthwhile mm. do you know what my starting salary was for my first job in games at imagine publishing oh i imagine it would have been nothing they're awful for that it was uh, eight and a half thousand pounds oh, God. per yeah, annum it's, it's incredible and i got a raise to eleven thousand pounds per annum well, this is the thing. It's very common and it's, you know, incredibly common in lots of industries for people to really take advantage of passion and the sense of yeah. belonging. All creative uh, like industries have this problem, right? Is... Like it's, it's just unethical. Yeah. Like basically, there there are, I mean, the, the, the attitude, I don't mind saying this at all, the attitude to Imagine Publishing was always there are 400 people who do what you do for less money. So, mm-hmm. you know, what are you worth? That, that seems to be the thing throughout game development as well. And, and unfortunately, they are correct as well, like without without some kind of union to back that up i don't know how you answer that problem because those people's making those terrible decisions and often often it distills a kind of dogma which um then just becomes aggressive and i mean i i I get that vibe sometimes from the company behind you know cd project and you know gog like good old games i get the vibe that really a lot of the people who work for them um really believe so much that they are doing something special that when people kind of make question decisions they make in terms of like you know how ethical is the team management at city project red or you know how could this game have been a bit thought about better that actually kind of becomes a backlash which is actually led sometimes by very gently people believe it so much i mean i remember especially the classic thing this is really inside baseball now but I remember when I was a journalist at Future, there was always this perceived beef between imagined journalists and future journalists. Yep. And really, the truth of the matter was, people at Future didn't really give a fuck. Yep. <laughs> like, people imagine, because they were being shafted, like, pr- I mean, everyone was being shafted a bit, but they're being shafted so much harder. There was this real competitiveness and this idea that, oh, people at Future, look down at people, duh, 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 when actually it was really like a, a camaraderie that only benefited um only benefited the company like, behind it. the employees. Like, I mean, Future, when I worked there, was actually a really good place to work. Mm. Um, and certainly where I was, it's when I was working in Kotaku, it was really good. And also it shared bonuses. You know, like the staff all got bonuses for mm-hmm. a good year. Like that's, you know, basic, mm-hmm. <laughs> basic good stuff, you know, good, good ethical management. But you have it both ways. You either have a company like CD Projekt that's people who from, from the ground floor up have all worked in game development, mostly, I think almost all, and who are so passionate that they run themselves into the ground voluntarily, or you have the corporate people running the passionate people into the ground. And you very rarely have, like what you really need, I think, is people in management who've been through it and been through burnout and been like, okay, 
here's how I manage this to keep everyone happy. But that's very difficult to find, like management class people who essentially mm. are able or willing to just kind of prioritize well-being and prioritize kind of the sustainability the of short term, stuff. It's not as good for the bottom line. Exactly, of course but it isn't. It's it's over the long term, term yeah. it's better because you don't have such big staff churn. You make better stuff. Like over a t- like if you look at Double Fine, Double Fine's a good example, you know. Mm. Uh, it's over the... Uh, it's it's had a lot of trouble and it's and it certainly was difficult when they started out. But over the long term, they've got a really lovely culture. They don't lose people. Mm-hmm. Their games have gotten better and better mm-hmm. because the people have stayed there and gotten more skilled and everyone's gotten happier and everyone yeah. works still together. And so the heart now, of those games, that's where it comes from. Yeah, so that's why you now have like such a good company, like a great culture like that does actually breed good stuff, but it takes longer. Yeah. You're quite mm-hmm. right, that's the thing. Here's a question I have and I think it's one I would have asked when I first started in, in a job. I would do the equivalent of what what we call in development crunch which is like working really late because you not because anyone's told you uh, when i was a video gamer i used to work late a lot and would come in at weekends i did the same at Eurogamer a little bit and at no point was that ever encouraged at no point was i asked to do that but i would be the person saying oh no but i want to make sure this mm-hmm. happens and i see some game developers saying that in response to the criticism of crunch at the moment mm-hmm. like I'm interested to know what you guys think. Is that is that a bad thing and, and why? It makes it harder for everybody else who can't do that. Mm-hmm. And this this is a thing that basically yeah. when, when people are younger and when people don't have kids, don't have et cetera, et cetera, all this kind of stuff, um, you know, you are able to devote. I, I was a mass, massive workaholic mm-hmm. until I had, and I'm still a workaholic, but I have kids now, so I have to stop. I can't be, like, I just can't. I can't, you know, prioritize my work over my family because I, I don't believe in that personally. Um also, I can't afford a nanny. <laughs> yeah, well, so, this is where it becomes yeah. like... So the thing is, yeah. when, when you have people who are in your team, no matter what you're working, if you have people in your team who are constantly doing unpaid overtime and constantly coming in, you're just kind of setting an expectation that's very, like, actually physically difficult for other mm-hmm. people to live up to. And I wish that I'd known that because, you know, I feel like the way I worked, certainly when I was in different circumstances, I, you know, would, would sneer at managers for going home at five, you mm-hmm. know? I remember, like you know, being pretty dismissive of people who kind of just, you know, came yeah, in for did, their hours, yeah, sat yeah. at their desk and then went yeah. home. And that's, it's unethical. I, I, like those people, those people had kids, you know, those people had other stuff. Yeah. I had a, you know, when I was working at IGN, I had a long, long distance relationship. So I had to, I had to leave, you know, my, my partner would come visit me and he'd have driven for two hours. So if I was like, oh, sorry, I'm staying in the office for an extra hour and a half, like it just wouldn't have worked. And similarly, I had to go at the weekends, I had to leave on a Friday and stuff. And that's when I got my first taste of what it's like to be on the other end of that, where everybody else is free to devote more hours and you're just not. And then people start kind of getting a bit snipey about it, you know? Yeah. That was that was tough. It is it is an equality thing. Yeah, so, well. like, yeah. I mean, absolutely. that's that's the thing I discovered, like when I had to um, go through a patch of being a carer, like, pretty much full-time was this realization of like oh i can't keep working now and afterwards being like oh i i actually can work less now because some of my time gets taken up with looking after other people Mm -hmm. and you're like oh this is something that's expected of most women (laughs) this is at some point it is very it's it's also a problem that does skew towards women because women tend to have the majority of the household work to Mm -hmm. do um, and the majority of the childcare. So yeah, it basically means also this, this class, it's not even just overtime, it's stuff like after work drinking. Yeah. You know, after work drinking is a very exclusionary thing because, you know, if you happen to be, have life circumstances or whatever, whatever you have, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe you're a recovering alcoholic, whatever it is, but you can't go out drinking every night and everybody else does, then it ends up excluding you from the company culture. Media Molecule are really cool about this. They have, um, instead of a kind of pub culture, a drinking culture, they have 
meals together. Mm-hmm. So they have on the top floor, mm. I've probably said this before in this podcast, but on the top floor of their building, they've got this amazing <laughs> restaurant. But yeah, they, they all come together and they have meals at lunchtime. Yep. And if everybody's, you know, they'll, they'll have a dinner, but people's families come in and stuff. And that's another av- example of a company that over the long term, you know, sure, it doesn't release a game every year, but over the long term, its culture is so good and people stay there so long that it becomes like a really successful, so successful company as well mm-hmm. as creating Yeah, awesome I think stuff. within games, I think it's something within creative stuff generally, but you see this and it was funny, I, you know, did the, uh, an interview with The Guardian about this sort of burnout stuff and I oh, think yeah, especially oh, yeah, it's, that was good. it's the same thing with like... Um, with you know youtube culture and stuff and being like you know this is how many times you are expected to be how often you're expected to be working and it does slant you know it's yeah. it's like this is why the majority of who people who are successful streamers or successful youtubers are the vast majority of the time people who got into it when they were young men mm-hmm. and not always like there are exceptions there are people who uh within our industry who work incredibly hard and work incredibly long hours but they're kind of clearly supported by a partner mm-hmm. and they have somebody who Kind of looking after their kids and looking, after their kids, looking after them maybe yeah. you know smoothing out their life a bit like doing the laundry allowing them to go and do this space and i think it's like you know part as a society we need to like actually treat that as being a job more really you know if you're going to be like someone's you know backup so someone else can go and have a successful career well, that's, that's what just women, as valid that's just the default for what women were for exactly. so long it's basically the people who enabled men to spend all their time working and doing good things oh i would say like uh what you're talking about, about when you're young and you got all this energy and you, you know you're just really passionate about your work i'd say go home and work on your own stuff yep like don't give all your hours mm-hmm. to a company because a the company doesn't fucking care i don't care what the company is unless it's your company and you have shares the company does not care mm-hmm. uh, and b you're then not causing difficulty for anybody in your company who may not be able to put in extra hours unpaid go home yep. expend all that energy on yep. some cool thing you're doing for yourself that like you've done that, that might then turn into a thing you can a business you can run for yourself i really you know i wish i could go back and tell myself stop doing all this work for someone else yeah mm-hmm. like, do do your own stuff it's healthier write as well. fiction or something you know because just go home <laughs> you, like like you say the the, the, the problem with and and I, I I see like younger game developers asking asking this every time the conversation crunch comes up, and I completely empathise with that thought process. Like, you want to work more, you're young, and you have the time to do it, and you you want to prove yourself. But that does sound like the healthier approach is try and divert that into something else, because then you're responsible for it, and yeah, you're not pissing off the other people on your team that are probably thinking, well, you're making me look bad because I want to have a normal life. And you know what? Work-wise, I used to be a beast. I used mm. to be insane. Like the amount of things I could do and the quality of the work I would do within that time was just phenomenal. And I accept that, and I accept that it's not anymore. And I actually had a, a day which was like an old day yesterday because we're preparing for Shucks, which is a Shut Up and Sit Down Canada convention, and it's a huge this year and it's getting bigger and i've been roped in to do like all sorts of things like graphic design technical design like i've been doing so much stuff that it, i had done those days where i start work at 8 a.m mm-hmm. and then i end up work at 11 p.m but yeah. that's your company it is but also even so like i felt at the end of the day i had a kind of like weirdness in my teeth and my jaw and my uh, gut yeah. and it's like yeah this is what i used to do like mm-hmm. this is physiological stress this is why you're not supposed to work and be thinking you know, and and really thinking that hard, that being that focused for that many hours in a day, like it, it's going to kill you. Like <laughs> capitalism. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean this is the thing though, and this is why to bring it back, I am actually like increasingly, I'm I'm proud to see that actually we are starting to get a kind of um, class of game journalism which is actually asking these questions and having these conversations, and we've still got absolute 
fucking losers who aren't like Ben Kachera can go in a bin <laughs> for his take that like oh, Walking Dead failed because the games weren't good like, just fuck off like these people should not be given jobs we don't need to hear this shit like we get enough of this from the community and I feel like journalism needs to be about speaking truth to power and at the moment the power is quite firmly in the hands of consumers we and have. like I think that there's so much not enough cynicism about the level of detail that people expect even with Rockstar which are consistently one of these companies that no one has a fucking clue what it's like to work at yeah. Rockstar you know, or who these people are or how much they work so, which I think is really insidious uh, our next episode is actually about Red Dead Revolver and how that came to be but um, the interesting thing about the, the studio that started all of that which is Rockstar San Diego after Red Dead Redemption like a huge portion of that studio got fired immediately like the the game Red Dead Redemption 2 is going to be amazing. Red Dead Redemption was amazing. It's the game's built on a scale like nothing else. But there does seem to be this cost to yeah. each of those big games that we Yeah, all, we all big games do this cycle where they hire and fire, hire and fire. Mm-hmm. And oh, we've got an article going up on uh, the games industry's the UK games industry's Brexit resistance on Friday oh, okay. from a writer who is um herself like a, an economic migrant. And um the interesting point that she made, which I thought was, I actually hadn't really thought of this um, in, in the same terms, but I think she makes a really good point. And it's like, well, it's good that the games industry is pushing back against Brexit, but when, did, where was it caring about its workers before this? Mm-hmm. You know, the sudden concern for all the EU workers who are here, why have they not got permanent contracts? Why is there no better unionization? Push? Yeah. You know, these, these, you know, game company bosses who are now coming out with, I would say, no doubt, genuine concern about their employees' welfare. But where was that concern before? Mm -hmm. And also, you know, is the concern now only coming up because you're standing to lose a bunch of money? Yeah. And the idea is that, you know, the games industry shouldn't just care about its workers for the utility for the utility that they provide to their well, to their apparatus people you know? pointing out the cycle of every time there's a studio that wrongfully lays off people badly everyone's like oh this sucks we got jobs over here but it's like yeah why did where's people pushing for unionization mm-hmm. like where's yeah. people yeah. pushing Although for is, better conditions the union, i don't want to go on about unionization because i know it's boring to pretty much 95 percent of the people who will be listening to i think this. it's the like the but most important topic in games right now i don't know like yeah but the thing is in the uk unionization is very effective mm. um as yeah, a, I guess as a 12, we're more... 12 year strong NUJ member, I can tell you it's not yeah. very effective because we don't have, it's not like in America. In America, if your company unionizes, all of you have to be part of the union. Mm-hmm. Here it's still elective, mm-hmm. at least in journalism and I think in a lot of other industries, which means it's pointless. If you have some people who are in a union and other employees who are not and therefore don't have to abide by union rules and don't have to participate in union action, it is fully pointless. If, yeah. if Telltale had, um, I mean, the Telltale are t- being taken to court over the lack of severance anyway but i i believe if if that had happened in the uk they would have had to oh yeah the uk has better severance. employment laws mm. in general we're getting into really boring territory <laughs> yeah aren't we? i'm gonna go <laughs> on about employment law for the next 35 minutes this but podcast. It's like, it's, it's, you and me brad it's weird it's, it's, it's <laughs> difficult to talk about games when you're seeing like hundreds of people lose yes. their jobs and like have their lives potentially ruined and you know what there's already a million games podcasts out there which will be just like yeah. three little beardy dudes talking about how like yeah but telltale games sucked yeah like and it's like there's we don't need more of that now. Mm-hmm. like actually the, th- the thing i find really interesting though is it's like i'm starting to really approach games and looking at games and i think there's a responsibility for people covering games and covering the industry to be talking about this more often to be like looking at what a game is 
looking at where the money went and being okay with that. Mm -hmm. Because I think that we've set ourselves these incredible expectations, which are set off the back of companies like Rockstar and CD Projekt Red, that this is what the ideal game looks like. Of course, yeah. And why can't everyone just do it like that? Yeah. And I think that actually, like, what I've really been enjoying about going back and playing Bioware games, for all of their problems and for all of their, you know, shortcomings sometimes, like, they're really interesting as, um, as historical pieces now of being like, being able to see the lines quite clearly of being like, okay, this was a compromise that was made for bad reasons. Like you can clearly see the compromises in these games that like were compromises because EA basically said, you boys got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this and you got to make money. And you can see those, like they, they glare. Dragon Age 2 has a phenomenal quantity of microtransactions available. Like, and I don't, you know, I'm not thinking about any of it, but when you're going through Origin, a list of like all the things you can buy, you're like, oh my gosh, like buy this dagger, buy this sword, by this set of armor, then it has a phenomenal amount of combat in the game, probably as a means of justifying that. Stuff you gotta buy. And yeah, the combat doesn't matter. But the thing I found really interesting about going through these repeated caves and these repeated warehouses, just come back to it, is it reminded me of theater (laughs) in the way that like you wouldn't go to a play and then walk out and be like, well, (laughs) the majority of those scenes took place (laughs) on two different (laughs) sets. Like, I was... swear I saw that cloak before in the production of Shakespeare last year. Yeah. <laughs> Did you notice that they used <laughs> the same bedroom but changed some of the fixtures to be the two different houses? Because I noticed that. Yeah. And that to me feels cheap. That's very and, funny. And there's uh, something about that, like really uh, thinking about these, about especially environments in games mm-hmm. as being backdrops for something else. Yeah. And like, because I find myself walking around like, and then it's interesting going into, because that is funny in this, the actual meat of the game, what brings it to life, does not happen in these caves or in these warehouses. For me, the problem with that game is not the reuse of assets. It's the fact that it has way too much bloody fighting in a game that doesn't have very good fighting and should just allow you to continue a story and should just be like, this is a narrative game. And for me, I think that's where a lot of Bioware's problems came from is because people love these games, but they failed to realize that actually what they loved about Bioware games was the story and the narrative. And Mm -hmm. then they got annoyed when the games weren't good in every other regard, when it's like, no, 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 wait, go back to Mass Effect 1. Everything about that game is rubbish, <laughs> apart from the story. Yeah. Like, and that was fine. I love that. And so this insistence that everyone does everything, and it's interesting then moving on and, and finishing the second game, moving on to Inquisition, the third game, where suddenly you're presented with this incredibly good-looking, massive open world mm-hmm. that fundamentally doesn't need to be there. Yeah. I have no idea why it's there. And the entire game for me is is actually a game I play in my own head of trying to ignore this open world, ignore all these tiny quests I can do, stop myself from picking up pebbles and, and herbs like I'm a toddler, just being like, no, Matt, you don't need, any, you don't need that. It's for pointless upgrades. You do not need it. And you just got to take a beeline through the story and just go, I care about this character. I care about the story. And it's really good. But to have all of this amazing, to have the opposite of what Dragon Age 2 had, of having like, you know, instead of having one warehouse, you have like a massive vista with mountains and deserts and all these different places that are ludicrously well made. I don't give a damn about any of it. I'm just walking through it to get to the story. For me, Dragon Age 3 and Dragon Age 2 are almost identical. I spend a lot of it walking through combat encounters I don't really care about to get on with the story. Speaking of, um, of crunch, I remember reviewing Dragon Age Inquisition and being in the video gamer office like we they, right. we weren't given a, a lot of time to review it um and because it was like the first proper open world game i felt like i really had to delve into into finishing the stuff that you've been ignoring it's so boring isn't and it? i was in the office at, i think about 4 a.m 
uh, one night and two police officers just walked into the studio where I was lying across the sofa with like crisps all over me and like, like just, it looked terrible. I wasn't expecting anyone to be in this room with me for another five hours. And I just like trying to have it to explain why at 4 a.m. in the morning, I was like powering through this game and why it was actually a job and that it was something I, I didn't feel like I could like go home and, and sleep yet because I needed to carry on to two police officers who have actual jobs and have to fight crime. Like it was... Wow. A very, That's a very surreal moment. That's yeah. very They're fighting crime. Why did they break into your office? Oh, apparently it was the... <laughs> the door was open. Yeah, the door was open. No, and they right. were like, this doesn't look right. <laughs> yeah. There's a guy in there <laughs> at 4 a.m. <laughs> yeah, I'm at the, I remember trying to review Dragon's Dogma. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. Another one which was just yeah, seemingly an endless at And times. it's like IGN had a policy where we finish games before we review them mm-hmm. which i think is good if you're a specialist and you've got the time and the people to do that then great but i didn't know it was going to be 60 hours or whatever it was mm. and i was kind of going through this game and my boss was getting to the point after i'd been in the in the office playing this every day for four days he was like come on now this is quite a lot of time you're spending on this very minor game I'm yeah like, i know but i really need to finish it i had this i had the same thing when i was at oxm because uh john T was like matt come on matt come on are you still playing because i was just playing it for preview and I was like, he's like, just look, it's just a crap RPG. Just, I want half a page in the magazine and then you can get on with writing the rest of the magazine. And I had to be like, no, listen, this might be something really special. And then and of he, course that video that you did about Dragon's yeah, Dogma was yeah. probably but the... But it, it was yeah. a really special game and actually I had the same thing with Walking Dead season one. I remember I covered the first episode and we, we gave it a couple of page review and I said, this is pretty cool. And I remember when the series ended, I had to really fight with my editor to cover it again because he's like, we've already covered it. We covered it when the series started. And I was like, no, this thing as a whole is really special. And I really had to push to get another review because I, th- I wanted to give it a 10 out of 10 because I thought it was like an mm. absolutely marvelous little thing. And I wanted more people to play it because actually that game picked up steam quite slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, it did, yeah, it did. But it was all, yeah. So, yeah. See, I, the season, the Life is Strange was like that as well. Like everyone played episode one and was like, eh. And then no one realized it was special. Well, people did realize it was special, but the kind of growing love for it really only came after it It finished. takes people with passion to really keep hammering it. Mm. Being like, play this, do this. But, but it's um, good because uh, Hitman too, when games are episodic, it gives people a lot more opportunities to say, play this. Mm-hmm. I was like, speaking of open world, speaking of open world stuff, I went to see uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey in Paris a few weeks ago. And I love when you go to one of those preview days where you get maybe five hours and it's not your save game because I just do all sorts of heinous stuff I would never do in my <laughs> own game. I'm sitting there and similarly when you're talking about stopping yourself from picking things up and stopping yourself from, you know, going searching for crafting materials because I'm like, I'm not going to have this game in five hours. Mm-hmm. I don't even I don't have the temptation. No. It's great. I'm just rollicking through this world, causing absolute mayhem and just doing whatever the hell I want and not bothering about any of the yeah. systems because and they I know go, that- oh, you should go here and finish this quest and they have to turn to the PR person and go, there's literally no point. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not doing it. I don't care. Oh my God, the, the woman kept tapping me on the back and being like, um, are you okay? You are, do you need any, yeah, I get that any direction? I was like, nope, I'm fine. <laughs> I think I'm I, she's like, it's just, you know, there's not that much time left. You might not finish the main quest. I'm like, yeah. cool. I've I'm decided not, I'm to not look at this to... horse for a while. Yeah, exactly. It's just very well detailed. Like, I'm over at the other end of this freaking, I just went sailing. I was like on yep. some island randomly, like exploring some, I was in a castle. She's like, um, you're quite far away from the main quest line. I'm like, I know. <laughs> yeah. I'm good. Thank you. I had that with um the Assassin's Creed Black Flag. I think I played it at Gamescom and had the person saying, oh, now with the boat. Oh, and you could do this with the boat and you could do this cool huh anyway if we just go and like if you go and land on this island over here and i'm like i just ignored him and he's like kept saying look there's there's an <laughs> island over there if you can go and you can you can you know park the boat i can't remember the word <laughs> dock D- dock yeah <laughs> just park your boat over there mate yeah just ease it in and i was just like no i'm 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 good and he i think he thought i was an idiot he's like 
look, you can you can do this. And I'm like, I'm going to sail around in circles, mate, firing my cannon because <laughs> it makes right. me feel good and I'm tired. <laughs> have, you, have you guys played uh, Spider-Man, by the way? The, no, I have the, a little bit. So yeah. the very first mission in Spider-Man, like um, the opening cutscene transitions into you swinging through the city really nicely. It's a beautiful moment. Yeah, and it, it gives you uh, an objective to go to that's on the, like a little ways into the city. And I love, it's like one of the best decisions they made in that game is that they don't, they don't really hassle you about it and they don't really like, you know, uh, in a lot of games you, you go too far out of the mission area and you get get moaned at about it and you're like, reset, we're going to have to do this again. You're supposed to go over there, Spider-Man. They give you this massive area to just swing around in and I spent like the first, it had that been a game preview, that would have been me just in that, I don't need to see what happens I'm at the good. mission. I'm good. Because this is brilliant. I'm good. Yeah. I've been playing is it okay if I talk about what I've been playing? Yeah, I was just going to really briefly say that like, it was interesting you mentioned Dragon's Dogma after mm. uh, Inquisition because those two games are like the two halves of one coin. It's like an Indiana Jones film where you suddenly combine them and you go, oh my God, we found <laughs> the way to Atlantis. I, I loved Dragon's Dogma so dearly. Because it's like Dragon's Dogma has this drab but actually increasingly wonderful world and tools that allow you to actually feel like you're in the world and having a great time in it. But a story but, that is but garbage. But I forgot to put the story. <laughs> oh my God, do you remember the ending of that game? I just the game remember the ending of that game. Oh, sorry. Uh, absolutely yes, incredible. I think we, we talked about that. Uh, we spoiled that, I think, in a very early episode of Dark Souls, like years ago. You should People totally were, go and listen to that because... One entire person was angry with us for spoiling it. <laughs> oh, it's so good. But yeah, we had this... You have this world that works and no story, whereas Dragon Age Inquisition has this amazing story, but then this big empty world. I find myself constantly thinking, oh, if this game had the Dragon's Dogma combat system in it, mm. it would probably be the best I've, game in I've the world. I've been vainly hoping that they'd make another Dragon's Dogma mm -hmm. style thing, but they, I don't know what they used that engine for in the end, if anything. I think, what did they use it for Metal Gear? No, they didn't. They used it for something else, but I can't remember it's what Capcom. it was. <gasps> they used it for Monster Hunter I was going to say they used it for Monster Hunter World. Like, it, 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 has oh, that a, makes it has a similar yeah. vibe, but, but the, um, yeah, the, the thing that was, the, like you say, you could just go out and have a random open world adventure, mm -hmm. but then the story was, just, I mean, it wasn't even like Japanese crazy yeah. in that, okay, so, I, I, you know, the random stuff keeps happening. It was, it was, it was next deranged, level. absolutely yeah. deranged. Like, it wasn't beautiful, not even on purpose. You know, it was so un, like, I remember there was a bit in it where you, I literally, it's the only moment of the story I can remember apart from the ending. And I, for some reason, snuck into some princess's bedroom and my, my character <laughs> was, was a woman. And then for some reason I got taken away to the dungeons and whipped and yep. the dialogue was all like, oh, you thought you'd sneak it, you thought you'd stick it in my daughter, <laughs> did you? And I'm like, what? Stick like, what? First what? of all, who are you? <laughs> Secondly, <laughs> what? Yeah. It's so confusing. All this dialogue about what I kind of, yeah. you know, and I'm like, this does, what is happening? Like you'd very occasionally so in this big drab empty open world that was perfectly fun because of the combat was so good. You'd occasionally stumble into story yeah. in a way oh, which, yeah. would, Not again. which would catch you off guard because you're like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I don't know who this person is. It was so funny. And then I, I, I was, so I was whipped to the stuff and then just let go to continue my life. And I was like, what just happened? Am I... <laughs> Am I, 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 what am I? Am I <laughs> am I stealing this daughter now? Is that is that my deal? Do I, I go back? <laughs> but it's like the opposite is I, I, I legitimately keep playing Dragon Age and I, I go into a, a fugue state when I'm playing it and then I realize I've been bored for 20 minutes because I'm just doing side quests and I have to go, what are you doing? Where's the next quest? And as soon as I get back on the tracks, it's fabulous. But there's so much to do that I'm like, I'm bored. Why am I bored? It's because you're doing, it's like you're, you're eating trays full of wholemeal pasta with no sauce when you've got like a pudding right next to you and you just keep forgetting yeah you're just like yeah but i better finish this pasta before I've, it gets the pudding kind of slightly funny anecdote i'll tell briefly as well because we've had lots of we've had lots of whole wheat pasta today and not a lot of uh, pudding <laughs> is the fact that playing dragon age 2 
directly before then jumping into Dragon Age 3 was really interesting for lots of reasons. But the main thing was the story is basically happens immediately afterwards, mm-hmm. really. There's not a lot like, of space between the two. And it means that a lot of the characters from Dragon Age 2 are in Dragon Age 3. And one of the characters is Varric, who's a dwarf, who in Dragon Age 2 is the best. Yeah, absolutely. He's like really witty, funny. Mm-hmm. He's like my fun sidekick. I'm Hawk. I'm in charge of this town. And this is my Hawk's fun sidekick. Quite boring. Hawk's quite boring. Well, he was quite funny in mine. I just always chose the sarcastic quote and thought he was all right. But he was ne- not nearly as funny mm-hmm. as Varric. He's my cool thing. And then I meet Varric in Dragon Age 3. And it's a new engine and he looks different. <laughs> He's no longer this flat, textless-faced comedy dwarf. He's sort of got this greasy look, this incredibly well-detailed hairy chest brimming out of the shirt. He really has, isn't he? And he just looks like he's mildly oiled. And also, he's not really like comedy relief immediately. <laughs> yeah. He's mm. kind of like gruff and yeah. and pouty. And I'm like... What happened to him in between the two? I think because... I because know. I guess because he, he went through Dragon Age 2 and so he's supposed to have like developed as part of that and seen the, the horrors of I think what so. happened in Kirkwall but weather. But yeah, I know Initially, what, what had happened was because Dragon Age 3 had had a graphical step up and also... Just generally, every, everyone in it is sexy. Everyone in it looks like they've been covered in sex butter. Yeah. Like there's a slight yeah. oiliness to all the characters. Because they're all goddamn romance options. Thing. Yeah, that, exactly. <laughs> is Varric a romance option? Is that what happened to him? Everyone's a romance uh, option as far as I can tell. <laughs> there is, but then it's this weird thing of like having this thing of this guy's my mate, he's my buddy, he's my buddy, he's my mate. And then suddenly I'm like, Varric's a sexy dwarf. <laughs> and I'm suddenly feeling really conflicted about it because where he fits in my mind... I so just complete, confused now. completely shifted. I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> you know, as a man who mostly identifies as being quite straight, I'm like, well, this is confusing. <laughs> I have strange feelings about my mate. My, my oily mate. My and oily, oily, hairy dwarf friend. So, yeah, I, um, I found that to be quite funny. Um, he started being amusing now, so now he's just my, my funny, sexy dwarf friend. That's good. Yeah. But I think we will just stay friends. <laughs> I've known him for a long time. Also, it's like the weird thing of... I'm not the character I was yeah. in too. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's completely okay for me to have a different relationship with this guy because I'm a different person that in is, this game. But I don't feel like I am. Yeah, I feel that, like I'm the same person. That really depends where everyone, like how much you can invest in in role-playing a character in, in yeah. a Dragon Age game. I found that particularly because the, the jump between Hawk and this character is pretty drastic. Yeah. And Hawk still exists in the world as well, which is, there aren't many... Um, RPGs where you do that, where you you like go on to the next game and your character is still out there somewhere doing some shit and like you can't just be the same character again. Yeah. You feel like an imposter. Yeah, especially it's a bit of a shame because the one from the first game, the hero of Ferelden, mm-hmm. was like a custom character you made yeah. as well. So you know you're not going to see them yeah. really because like my guy just looked like a really wonky version of me yeah. that was also a baby and he's not going to turn up. <laughs> I don't want to see him covered in butter. That'd be really yeah. weird. <laughs> not, oh my not, God. Not, not to return to Dragon's Dogma, but the character creator in that game. Way too detailed. Oh, it was so weird. Everything about that game was just... <laughs> it was so odd. I really missed I had that. A, I, I modelled all of my pawns after different eras of David Bowie. Oh, nice. So I had like Wizard Bowie with a lead insane styling and then i had my my ranger bowie was thin white jake bowie and so on and then i had hippie bowie who was an archer so i just had this little crowd of david bowies <laughs> wandering around with me the whole time and yeah. it was brilliant you stopped and, uh, breaking into people's bedrooms that's uh yeah maybe it was actually the pawns that were the issue yeah i really like the little the way you could borrow other people's npcs though as well and you could see where you'd just be walking through this fog of like other random people's characters that you could borrow and you'd be like oh i could see what you were trying to do with that guy you're trying to make them look like this or you'd be like that's amazing it looks just like that Le- or sometimes you just think you didn't do it did you, you just pretty yeah. Le- Le- generic looking guy i've ever seen leon who i worked with at Kotaku UK for a while he had this 
he had made he tried to make a kind of beautiful redhead type um, pawn character but then he realized after he and you can't like go back and change anything once they're done the pawn is done and he realized after doing it that he'd accidentally set all of the like size like her proportions were such that she was minuscule oh <laughs> so he was being followed around by a child-sized <laughs> sexy redhead for the whole game and she was her, her personality was such that she would just run at anything you know any monster that turned up and he called her orange and anytime there was a monster that appeared or any dangerous thing, she'd just run straight towards it. And so his version of Dragon Dogma was just this childminding simulation. <laughs> no, where he no, was like, Orange, no, no, oh no, Orange, stop, stop. And then Orange would like be flung halfway across the map by some by some rock monster. And so the whole game was just him trying desperately to look after Orange. Which, oh, what I'd do for another one of those. Oh, that's good. So what have you been playing recently, Keza? I think it might be contributing to my general floaty state of mind. Um, I've been playing Forza Horizon 4. I really want to play that. I don't care about cars. I can't literally can't even drive I don't care about cars at all, but Forza Horizon I've always liked because they're basically journey mm -hmm. travel Well, I played really. Forza 2 and I was exactly the same. I've no interest mm -hmm. in cars. I'm not a car head, but I got really into Forza 2. Yeah, Forza 2 was the one in uh, France, France and Italy, wasn't it? I don't remember. I just remember it got to a point in the game where you could get the AI to race your cars for you. <laughs> And then you could just start like a big race and then just go and have a cup of tea and come back and you'd be like, I won. <laughs> now wow. I get That's impressive. Also, I got really into tweaking the cars, which as somebody who doesn't ah. really care about that, I found quite interesting. Weird. Why, what, what was it that made you want to do that? I think, um, technically speaking, it was just a really fucking great game. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's just like... <laughs> it is, it's such, it's so good. I mean, Forza Horizon 4 is a bit, is a bit less uh, focused at the beginning. So it's set in Britain. Right. And you, it's it's got this really wonderfully compressed version of Britain where at the bottom you've got the Cotswolds, basically. Mm -hmm. And then you've got up the side, you've got the Lake District. And then you get into the Scottish Highlands and then Edinburgh's over there at the top right of the map. And then down the right, you've got kind of the Moors and Norfolk Broads and stuff. Um, so, and it, you take about 15 minutes to get from one end to the other of the map. So you, you, you can do this incredible, and also it's a really idealized, beautiful Britain. They, they pointed 4K cameras at the skies for an entire year in different parts of Britain. Oh, and it was just great. To capture <laughs> they had to make it up. That's, yeah, pretty that's much. That's wonderful. But yeah, to, to capture the, the types of light that you get. And, and it's seasonal games, so it cycles through spring, summer, autumn, winter every week. Um, uh, and I know. I so want this game. It's really good. And I was so, and, and the first, the first it's a bit weird because the first few hours, it doesn't really show you the whole game. It just kind of makes you go through these quite, quite uh, scattered and random events. And you're like, what is happening? And then the season will change every few hours. And you're like, what's going on? And then after you do it's about six hours of that and then it's like oh here's the actual game yeah. it's a kind of persistent online uh, every week the seasons change there's loads of different stuff to do you see people on the map so for the first few hours i was like felt really directionless but even then just the 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 way that it's it's portrayed britain it's not a britain i recognize but in the in terms of like there's no people in it there's no cities apart from edinburgh which sounds, actually sounds pretty ideal. good yeah. yeah no people no cities and it's the weather is uh there's lots of rain, but it's never like kind of flat, boring grey. Like the, they've managed to capture the way that the kind of winter sun sort of makes everything pale and gleaming. And if you mm. and I, I just raced around Edinburgh for an entire season oh. because obviously I'm you know from Edinburgh and like driving into town from the Highlands, which obviously are not possible in real life. But you drive straight down from like Glen Rannoch and the lochs and everything, and it's got that like the Highlands have this color. It's like a a really deep and orangey brown, mm. um, and then the colors change as you drive into Edinburgh and suddenly you have the, they've captured the way that the, um, the Edinburgh stonework looks in the rain in winter, you know, it's just, it's incredible. It really is. And, and I just couldn't, I couldn't get over how, how beautiful this game was. And my, my partner, not me, my partner, let's be honest, has configured the 4k TV <laughs> and the audio system and everything. So we've got like high end everything in our house and 
if you have any high-end kit and you have an Xbox One X, this is just what it's for. Because I don't really see the point. And like, when people kind of... It's out on it's, PC computer as well. Because I realized I was like, there have been lots of good racing games over the years, but I think the Forza games have always been a real cut above uh, it in is, many ways. I think like, this is the single best time I've ever had racing virtual cars. And it's because all the really in-depth stuff is there if you want it, right? So if you want to go in and tune everything, and there's like 85 screens of different different elements of the car that you can tune in it's really really detailed, like like motorsport i mean <laughs> um but then also if you're like me and you don't know a damn thing about cars you can just drive around in what you're given and have just the most wonderful time and for, for me I, I spent like early this, i was actually late because i got <laughs> i got caught up again i spent I played it for like 20 <sighs> hours i was late to this podcast because <laughs> i was driving around um it's not real. I was driving around the real. Highlands, just like looking for roads I hadn't driven on yet. Well, as a lazy man without a license, being able to live out the dream of driving a car in England does sound quite, Honestly, quite the, fun. The, the lighting, the lighting. And it's this wonderful Britain where you get given a house for winning a race and you can afford a bunch of supercars, you know, which is nice. More socialist nonsense. What's, what's Brighton like? You you want to avoid that one way system. Honestly, nightmare. But yeah, it's, it's picked these, just these kind of, Main, five kind of main areas really right. um and and they all feel and look just so that it's like the the soul of the place I'd you know, it, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, like it doesn't Glasgow look and stoke i know that's what the thing you, know, <laughs> you wish it was like i almost wish i would actually, just actually, you know that really shit stretch of the m25 mm. i mean all of the m25 or even shit. manchester like there's something you're talking about like the way that the cobblestones in they've Edinburgh romanticized it look yeah. in winter when wet it's interesting like i think that you kind of have these specific memories of like cities i think with manchester like I don't go to Manchester very often, but when I do, uh, I, if I'm there and it's like a sunny, nice day, I'm like, mm-hmm. whatever. But for me, what makes me feel really emotional is when I'm in Manchester in the rain. And often when I'm traveling to Manchester, I'm with people who aren't from there. So they're just like, oh, this is horrible. But for me, I feel there's something about the way that the buildings in Manchester look, a lot of grey stone buildings and the way it looks in the rain. It becomes dark, slick, reflective, Gotham-like. It has that in that common. That for me is like, this is yeah. the place. Yeah, it has that in common with Edinburgh in that people who built it knew that it was going to rain a lot. Yeah. So it looks really great in the rain. Aberdeen, on the other hand, built out of gleaming granite. So on the f- six sunny days of the year in Aberdeen, it looks beautiful, but mm-hmm. the rest of the time it's very gray and depressing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, when I was a teenager, I obviously spent like months of my life, like in trench coats, hiding under awnings of Gothic cathedrals, trying to light damp cigarettes. So for me, Edinburgh at night in the rain is like my Edinburgh. But it's 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 the most it's the most uh, and it's also quite eerie because you kind of drive into Edinburgh and it's, you drive in the same way that you would you know you go through you know past Haymarket and up Shamrock Place and then the castle came into view and I cried tears came to my eyes spontaneously no. when the castle appeared from a video game I was ridiculous <laughs> and I was kind of driving along Princess Street and Prince Street Gardens and then moving you know in across the old town I drove up to the castle at the Royal Mile and then I drove back out around Arthur's Seat and then I drove across Northbridge and tried to find where my house was and obviously like it wasn't there they have they have this but they they make it so it's like a dream version of the place that it actually is firstly it's really beautiful and idealized but also uh, and there's no people in it but then secondly the the roads go where you think they should but they end up somewhere different so you drive out of edinburgh and instead of ending up in musselburgh which you know you don't want to end up in musselburgh you end up in the highlands yeah and so you have it's almost it is like a dream it's like you're being I'm, carried I'm along all about this at the moment incredible. not just in games but in everything like i want less realism more magical mm-hmm. realism mm-hmm. like magical realism is probably my favorite thing in the world right now I, I like my favorite tv shows are full of it like atlanta is fantastic like fargo um again like things that basically like just the unreal real yeah and i think that this is the thing is like this that's what i want to see in terms of 
fidelity. Like, you know, I'm not interested in those things. And I think there are a couple of developers that do it very well. Bungie actually do a very good job of it. Like, you know, I think mm, of very, having like... Yeah, it feels right. When you're walking around places in Destiny or Destiny 2, it's like, these are not places, but they feel like places. And also like, even when you're in places that are completely fantastical, they manage to actually create a sense of awe. And again, it's like, I feel like, you know, playing Dragon Age 3, it just feels like a lot of the places, a lot of the vistas, you look at them and you're like, yeah, that's nice. It's very pretty. It's like postcards. Like I feel very little when I'm in these places. Like I don't feel like the, and I feel like if that's the case, it's what a huge waste of money mm-hmm. to create these like incredible looking traditional fantasy vistas and worlds you can walk around that don't really evoke anything. Mm-hmm. And I think it does take a certain craft to be able to create fantastical places that make you feel things. But I think as well, like I love it in games where they actually managed to, um, to kind of recreate places in unreal ways. Man, it's, it's the light, you know, Forza Horizon 3 had this, it was set in Australia. I've never been to Australia, but I feel like I have. Um, this kind of the beautiful flat light and the skies were incredible. And I, I'm always going on boringly, as Scots do, going on about <laughs> things that are better at home. And one of them is just the sky is different. I try and say this to my partner, and he's like, "Don't be stupid." I'm like, "No, see, the sky is just every time I'm back in Edinburgh, I'm just taking pictures of the sky." Are you sure it's just that you can't see more of it? You can see more of it. That's yeah. why, because of the the latitude, I, I think, I presume. I just meant because there's less like skyscrapers and ah, uh, there is that, but it feels like there's more sky. Yeah. Um, and, and like the, the way that it's very dramatic sky that we get and yeah, it's just different. It just looks different. And, and you drive up in Forza and it's, the sky's <laughs> you different. You do sound so Scottish right <laughs> now. I love it. It's just I, different. Right? I was trying to think like what, it's just different. if, if I was playing Forza, like what, what was the, cause I used to drive. Where would you want to go? Yeah. And I like some of my happiest memories were like sitting outside the McDonald's on the, in the festival park in Stoke with like, I had a Yaris with like alloy wheels. DLC. I had, I had a, a, one of those radios that did funny things on the screen, which I spent all my pocket money that. on. Yeah, the little yeah. animations. And I'd like probably be listening to Oasis and just like wearing a cap and looking too, right. on, like Brad, a bit of an arsehole. You were too young for Oasis. No, I was, I was not. You, I was, you got into I'm them late. 28, yeah, I guess I got into late, but I saw the last uh, gig Oasis ever did actually. So I guess did, I didn't know. Maybe I was on, too late. Yeah. Did, hang on. Wait. Did you? Did you? When I so did, did when you were a teenager? Oasis. Because how how old were you when you listened to Oasis? Uh, like I don't know. From like thirteen onwards, I guess. Man. I was always a Blur man in the the classic fight between Blur and Oasis. Until later, yeah. getting to be early twenties and realizing that the correct answer of which is better, <laughs> Blur or Oasis, is Pulp. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. My because uh, I, I when I was growing up, uh, especially in Scotland, Britpop was like for boring, boring dads. Mm-hmm. Oh, I miss so, Britpop. I miss that. I just like Oasis. You just, you just got into there. it backwards. I, when I was a teenager, I had a very anachronistic ador- adoration for the Manic Street Preachers. Mm. Like I, I actually didn't know any modern Manic. I just had their first album. Someone gave me their first album, and I thought it was the best thing. Oh right, Is that the Holy Bible. Um, no, that's their third, which okay. the best the album. Holy Bible's awesome. Uh, yeah, but the, the first one was like this really kind of weird, punky, really badly produced. It had the kind of eighties doom drums, but it was punk. And um, really kind of poppy punk. And it was a great album. It's called Generation Terrorists. Loved it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then the next one, um, I can't remember what the next one was called. And then the third one. And then, of course, they... The, but I discovered all this. Chilled out. Years down the line, I discovered they lost <laughs> Richie. And, yeah. I just, and then, so I'm yeah. sitting there as a teenager, 10 years out of Reliving the same Reliving this crisis. kind of pain oh, wow. of Manic Street Preachers fans. <laughs> it was so odd. Did you have a band that was like a weird one you shouldn't have liked for your age? Um, I think like I got into music quite late. I didn't really have an interest in it until I was about 18. And then I just like became ferocious. The band that got me into music were the Super for Animals. Oh, um, because yeah. I really liked Rings Around the World as a fun pop single on the radio. And I thought, oh, by the album. And it just turned out to be an incredible choice because uh, I then discovered that the, the Super for Animals are some of the best kept secrets in the world and the fact that what they do is they release a couple of pop singles and then their That's albums get, yeah. are 
really odd and often extremely interesting. Cool. And we'll often have like a nice, I mean, I think there's, oh, I think there's a song called No Sympathy, which is a very quiet folk song, which then becomes mad techno. And it just blends into the two. And you just end up being like, what the hell am I listening to? Yeah, it doesn't to? make sense. So it opened a lot of doors for me there. And then I just, I don't know. Like, I think I was never like, because I didn't have music television and because I didn't like really follow any of that culture music stuff. Television. Yeah, sure. That's how you said it. I know what you mean. It made it sound I like didn't you have music television. television. <laughs> well, there was a lot of like... He didn't have the World Wide Web either when he was a boy. Yeah, there was a lot of people would watch music videos and they'd be like... And then I think through that you would then have faces for the people in the bands and you might read about them in magazines. And I never got into any of that, into any of like the kind of like reading about the people behind the things. I just enjoyed the 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 music and actually i found sometimes i found i go and see bands live and i found it really disappointing because the image i had in my head of what they would be like live i was like these guys are really boring that's ah, like seeing film adaptations of your favorite books <laughs> yeah right so i think actually like i've always had a relationship of keeping it a bit separately and like respecting the musicians as artists but not really wanting to know anything about them and not caring mm-hmm. and so when people were like you know a lot of people my age were like really into like being able to recount facts about bands, like especially Radiohead, like I oh always, my God. I loved Radiohead. People who were into Radiohead at my school were the most tedious. I it just took don't me, care. it took me ten years to get over my adverse reaction to Radiohead. And it was only when I was twenty three, and my, my my partner took me to see them that I was like, oh okay. It turns out what I didn't like wasn't Radiohead. It was people it's who Radiohead liked Radiohead. Fans. <laughs> yeah, I, and I felt that way about a lot of things. Like people, who, I was, a, I really got into the Mars Volta. Actually, I was a really big fan of the Mars Volta. Um, I think it's like it's a kind of a Stockholm syndrome thing because so much what, of their work is boring as that, hell. That's one thing that's a bit lame about Forza Horizon is the music selection is. Oh, I always switch it off. Pretty bad. Like it's it's there are a few good like there's a good remix of M83's Midnight City in it where if you're driving and it comes on it's nice but it's not like Grand Theft Auto. What is this? 2004. Exactly right and like all of the and all of the music in it is like, it's got a drum and bass which no no. So M83 I like them before I listened to their first two albums <laughs> and too. it's a good song. Me but too. Their early stuff is fantastic. Come and Jesse's really great and they've got merits of that and it's so about that really yeah. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> it's they, terrible. They, so they have this like, so they have drum and bass um a hip-hop station that's average uh a pop station that's not what you want it's all it's just no. not what you want and then a kind of bass station that's it's it's all average and there's like two or three songs in it that are good that come on you're like oh yeah but then they all repeat so often oh well, i remember like, that and, and also also the radio presenters are so annoying and i'm like oh, the yeah. only thing that would make Hell. this better is if it had just the most perfectly curated british soundtrack of like super free animals and like uh freaking Teenage fan club, all those kind of Scottish bands you could use for it. There's like loads and loads of like quite obscure and very popular Oasis mm-hmm. even. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff you could use that would just work so well with that game. And I was sitting there like making a playlist in my head as listening for the 14th time to, you know, the remix of Kendrick Lamar that is on the, <laughs> on, yeah. the on the hip hop stage. Well, thing. I get it though with these things, you know, music, I don't know if you guys know, but it's like, it's really dependent on taste. And, is um, it? Yeah, it's really like... <laughs> I mean, I've never really had an intense conversation about music before. <laughs> yeah, I, I've kind of like, I stay out of it these days. Like, my worst thing now is when people say to me like, oh, hey, Matt, you should put some music on at a party. I'm just like, no, absolutely not. Like, because I've, I've been through those days and I'm not interested in trying to convince anyone else that the music I like is good. Like, just leave oh, me yeah. alone to listen to I think to my once you get so. past about 25, you stop you stop being that person who's like waiting for their turn to put music on at a party, I think. Like, oh, unless you're my partner, in which case you stay like that for your whole I, life. I veer between wanting to like play really chill things and really quite heavy things at the moment. And so it's like, yeah, I just have to like turn it down when my wife gets home. It's like, no, she doesn't want to hear the EOC's album for like the 18th time today. Birthday party story. I'm not going to mention it again apart from this, uh, but I ran out of time to make a playlist for my 30th birthday party and I was panicking because um, I had weeks to do it and I just didn't get around to it. So on the day I was like, shit, I don't have a playlist. I've got two songs. I've literally got two songs. That's it. 
And my partner went away for half hour and came back with two and a half hours of perfectly <laughs> curated music that I love. Um, oh, man. Two and a half hours, not a single band repeated. I was like, this is, I could never have done this by myself. That's, it's so, so nice when you have, when you, you know, when you, when you, sometimes your partner. Is he Spotify? He basically is a human Spotify. Yeah. He's incredible. His music knowledge is extraordinary. And like, he's really good at picking things that you'll like. And also like, it just, it it made me realize that he's actually been paying a lot of attention to what I like over the last 10 years, which is lovely. It was, it was sometimes I was like, it was the nicest present I got. And he didn't even, it wasn't even a thing for him. He didn't even think that it was a thing. I was like, this is so Well, I just had the the awkwardness of the music barrier with someone recently where we're talking about racing games and someone's like burnout. And I was like, burnout three was the best. Come on, burnout three. You know, I like paradise a lot, actually. I know lots of like people don't click with that, but burnout three, what a game. And they were like, yeah, it was an incredible game. And the soundtrack. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, things. that got turned off like, immediately. <laughs> like, it annoyed me that it still played music on the main menu, even though like you turned it off. Wasn't um, it like it was, it was pop punk? Wasn't it? Yeah, it was, like, it was, it was kinda, like yeah, I play that game in blissful silence. Just the sound sparks. No, I didn't, because I'm not going to get into arguments about which music is better. Even though I know that my music is better. All right, I mean, I know that. All right, I love when you get into or when you hear people in music arguments, and it gives you a kind of perspective. You sort of float upwards from your body, and you're like. It I just sa- like. this is what I sound like yeah. all the time. It just sounds better to your ears, and that's yeah. fine, and that's really the, the one, end of it. The one hill I would die on, though, is I remember working in an office whereby um, occasionally, like you know, somebody would be like, "Oh, this term, take it in terms of music on," and you put something on, and then you'd get someone immediately going, "What's this? It's just noise," and you wanted to be like, "Listen, you've got to appreciate that." To me, like when we're listening to like Kiss FM all week in out every day, that's how I feel. Like I feel it's awful and it, it hurts my brain, but I don't kind of kick up a fuss and go I, I appreciate that like everyone else likes that mm-hmm. but it's that weird thing of like you just want to say to people like you do understand that the way you feel now is how I feel every day empathy like, yeah and it's like I don't want to make a big deal about that but it really annoys me when people are like oh I can't listen to this it's like look, have, you, have you got any idea what it's like listening to th- this radio station in I a, want to die in an, <laughs> I want to leave this realm forever in an office I was once working in uh, it was a classic sort of the group solution is worse than any individual solution would have been moment where we had to have an office meeting because some people played music at their desks and everyone was like, it's too annoying. There's too much different music on and right. it's too difficult. So that does sound like obviously the sensible thing. Well, if you want to listen to music, put headphones on. But then they were like, well, no. And basically this way, there was like a pointless half hour meeting with every, like <laughs> 30 like, people. Well, no. <laughs> and so then we ended up with, well, that, no, we don't want people to be in headphones because that's not friendly. So then after half an hour of discussion, the solution that had been arrived at was that we all had to play a Spotify playlist to which everybody contributed. I mean, this is this is and the worst like, idea right, in the world. So now everyone in the office has to listen to music they hate. Every single person oh in the office is now going to have to listen to music they don't like because everybody... So it would be like, it would go from, you know, there was, oh God, it would go from Katy Perry to like freaking Rammstein to, I love Rammstein, just putting that in there, out there, but then to, to something relatively normal like... I don't know an Oasis track or something, and then it would veer off to someone's obscure drum and bass, and it was just, and then there would be happy hardcore from one of the forty-year-old dudes who that, just loved that. How many people quit? That that feels like you are just setting up. <laughs> that is the spark. This is that, what like, you don't want to pay redundancies. Yeah. This is what you do. I started listening to rain noises on my headphones all day just to drown it out. So yeah. I was sitting there listening to essentially the, white noise. in the playlist. Make your point, Kaza. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's just noise. Yes. Put the yes, six hour is. rain track on and see how everyone likes it. But it was, it was, it was a classic situation. This always happens, but like the idea that 
the group consensus is mm. always worse than any of the options that were there <laughs> previously. Like, because if we do kind of horrible compromise between yeah, all of the options, people have their own space. I remember I had a, used, oh, I used to have a great system where everyone have headphones on a lot of the time, but you could always talk to them unless somebody said before they put the heads on headphones on. Right, I'm going dark, mm. and that was a very perfect system. It was basically like, I'm doing this now because I need to be left alone, and if anyone came over to talk to them, the people around you would say no. They've gone dark. Mm -hmm. That I got, works. I got bought for a Secret Santa gift um, as a joke, uh, a little flag, a little red flag that you could put up on your desk that was like, fucking, fuck off. It's, it's, it said, fuck it said fuck off on it. Oh That's God. great. Um, it's because because I'm, I'm not a morning person. Right, okay. And in people just, in my office, people just learn not to talk to me before okay. about 10 a.m. Because people would talk to me and I'd be like, ugh. And shout at them. So they got me this flag, but actually incredibly useful flag. <laughs> I used it all the time. Yeah, I like when I was writing or whatever, I'd just be like, boop, don't how, bother how, me. How big do they, they come? How, how big? <laughs> <laughs> Can we get one one meter by two meter? <laughs> Put it on my house. <laughs> So I'm going to cap this off. This has been the kind of ultimate babble cap. I, I oh, oh God, have we been talking for an hour? We have been we talking for an hour. We haven't talked about anything. Yeah, I feel, I feel partially bad. It's not too bad. I really ah. despise it when games podcasts just end up being in jokes and talking mm. about things that you have to... At least this has been relatable to anyone, but it has been uh, <laughs> a, a, a wider meander than usual. Um, I so, didn't even mention any of the games I've been playing in the last month except for Forza. Yeah, and yeah. you didn't mention a single one apart from Dragon Age. Oh, oh well. Spider-Man, very briefly. Spider yeah. it's, 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 good. it's good, but I'm not, you know, like, I don't, I think it's actually mostly about the swinging. So I'd usually be, uh, you know, more. We gave it three stars. I really got, got I'm not going to play it because it looks like it's extremely pretty. But I'm, I'm kind of done with AAA games. They're all exactly the same, and they kind of bore me. There's my, there's, there you are. So I think that we're, was, we're filling up yeah. the quota here. We've had, we've, <laughs> we've, had, had, we've had a couple <laughs> of hot takes. Um, we've had, um, yeah. But I, I generally would be quite defensive of the format. But I think if, if you listened back this week and thought, you know, they didn't, they just sort of rambled a lot, <laughs> then uh, you can have a small apology from me, a rare small apology. Um, because we will, we will. <laughs> it's kind of are. come up with structural and feature ideas <laughs> yeah, that we yeah. all keep promising to do L literally when i went away from the first episode i had 400 ideas and now i have mm. none they've just gone well it's been an incredibly busy month and i'm yeah. about to be uh, out of the country for a month doing a combination of work and holidays so uh, this is like a a, a a mad rush i just thought i'd try and squeeze in a fun one and i've had fun mm. and the important thing for the for me is that i have fun that is the important thing. and you secondly <laughs> and then the world is like a, a distant third um but I would say as a little a bonus thing, um, I didn't really talk about it much, but if you've got a Nintendo Switch, I recommend you a really good game if you like kind of slightly tricky but incredibly satisfying platformer action games. The Messenger. It's brilliant. Ooh. The Messenger I mean. is fantastic. Interestingly, it's a game that, um, I'm just going to spoil the twist because it's kind of important to know, uh, about halfway through the game, it goes from being a 8-bit uh, style, Ninja Gaiden style platform boss fights uh cloud jumping ninja game to being a 16-bit metroidvania and what's fascinating about this is half the people who play it go first half of the game really weak second half of the game fantastic and the other half go first half of the game fantastic <laughs> second half of the game really weak um i am only just at the second half of the game but i thought as a tight little platformer with genuinely brilliant humor i'd right. say buy it play it talk to the shopkeeper as much as you can because some of the jokes in there you can miss and it's genuinely very funny but I just sat, found myself playing it on a train, just literally just saying out loud to myself, this is tight as hell. Like, it's so tight. <laughs> you really watch who you say that in front of on a train. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to so sneak it. Like, it makes you realize that all, Dude, the, this is tight. all the boss fights are brilliant because all the boss fights are actually just like, 
platforming challenges that look like boss fights. Oh, like They're actually Mark like, Ninja was, was like that. Yeah, they give you like a really good skill set of like things you can do. Mm-hmm. And then it very gently demands that you learn to be really good at all of it. But you feel like you're getting better. You, you don't feel like you're just moving through spaces. You feel like as the game progresses, you find yourself when you're backtracking through old areas, when it gets Metroidvania-y, you're like... I remember how many times this took me just to get through this room and yeah. now I can like hop slash hop slash and you just it becomes second nature. I think it's wonderful. Fantastic. I have I have two very quick switch recommendations. Yep. One is Minute. Mm, Heard yeah. of Minute? That was also on Steam. Yep, yeah. These are these are both games that have been on Steam for a while, fun. but they're I really like that good. A lot. Minute's like a it's an it's, it seems like an action Zelda type game. Um, but it's not, and you only get sixty seconds to live. Mm-hmm. Every second, every six seconds, you die and go back to the beginning. So it, everything becomes like a micro challenge, and it's actually more of a puzzle adventure, point yeah. and clicky style thing. Really cool. Uh, only a few hours long. Loved it. And then into the breach. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, we we should we should save this one. We will but, save it yeah, for later. We'll talk about that, for now, like, just play it, and yeah. then you can join in our in our collective fan. It's a phenomenal thing. Fanning mm-hmm. out, really fanboying, girling out. Next time we talk about it, because it's one of the best things I've ever played. It's super good. Cool. I've I've mostly been playing Red Dead Revolver, which is is weird and not at all like oh, redemption. The, the old um, PlayStation Two one. Yeah. So the the episode we're doing uh, this month, in fact, it's going up the day we record this podcast, is about the before Rockstar made it or bought it um it was actually a capcom thing and it's what that would have looked like which is it would have looked a lot more japanese and weird and i probably bad but also just worth hearing about well that sounds fascinating and people will be able to go and watch that video now on people make games unless we're on youtube flexing up <laughs> you're gonna have some time this isn't gonna yeah. be going up for a little while i've got too much to do okay uh so you're gonna be good and uh yeah obviously keza's doing stuff on the guardian i'm really excited to read that article about uh, people taking a stand against brexit i don't yeah, know why going up i've no idea why on friday it seems like a personally interesting thing <laughs> yeah um but no the, the point you made about that about like you know oh people care now do they yeah i think yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah i thought it was really well, well framed uh well, we could go into that forever, but mm. we probably shouldn't because yeah. it's a podcast. But hey, we recommended like three games and we had a hot take. Yep. It's technically a pod- <laughs> game cast about pods. Pod- pod- suck it. <laughs> I'm leaving now. <laughs> forever. <laughs> <laughs> Good- <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.